Welcome to the podcast, In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. I'm Tim. And I'm Marshall. And here we are. Here we are, Tim. Podcast boothin'. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. In our, in our little sanctuary of radio. It's, it's fantastic, actually. Mm-hmm. Although, I, can I be honest with you, Tim? I kind of no. miss the radio room. Oh, yeah? Well, no, like it was super impractical because we were like, it was super tight quarters but there was the nostalgia of it yeah it was cold yeah actually yeah this the way this winter's been it'd be like terribly cold it was cold it's been like arctic weather the last couple weeks like today's the first day where it's not like like my my mustache doesn't freeze the moment i go outside mm-hmm. yeah Ugh. Ugh. all right okay today we talk about heresy yes we do let's define heresy because I think a lot of people like to throw the word around. We don't yeah. always use it well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A heresy is not just someone who disagrees with you. That's correct. Uh, a heresy is... So teachings in Christianity are not always so defined and razor edge mm-hmm. that any variation equals heresy. Right. Right. Uh, apostasy... Walking away from the faith is not heresy. It's apostasy. Mm-hmm. That's why it gets its own word. It's got its, got its own term. Um, so what is, what is heresy? Heresy is teaching that goes against the core doctrines of the faith. So the mm-hmm. opposite of heresy is orthodoxy. Right. So orthodoxy is teaching that is in line with what is revealed to us in Scripture Heresy is a deviation of that. And it's not just, again, like you said, a difference of opinion or a slight error of interpretation. Right. Uh, it is, it is an, it is such a significant error that it's, it's almost safe to say that person might call themselves a Christian, but because of that teaching, I don't think they deserve the label. Yeah. It's to say, this is a violation of primary doctrine. Yes. Yeah. Not secondary not tertiary, mm-hmm. primary doctrine. Yeah. Right? Uh, and when we define primary, the way we do is we say, you do not believe in the Christian faith mm-hmm. if you don't believe these things. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's heresy. That's heresy. As far as the history of it goes, we kind of haven't moved forward. Yeah, we're still kind of in that mid mid to late 100s. This is a lateral move. Yeah. Which is really fascinating in and of itself. Because what we're seeing is contradictory teaching, which mm-hmm. is what heresy is. Mm-hmm. Uh, contradictory teaching is comes early on. Mm-hmm. It comes hard. It, it does. A- and some of it from Jewish sects. Yep. So groups of Jews who pseudo take on Christianity, but we're kind of pseudo-Jewish. Mm. in their orthodoxy, mm-hmm. just apply Christianity to their twist on Judaism. Yeah. Whereas the Jews would look at these people and be like, that is not orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. That's heresy. And they would just say, oh, look, Christianity, an advancement of Judaism, we'll take that mm. and keep those things that made them unorthodox. Right, right. So, so some of these heresies, 
predate even Christianity. Yeah, yeah. There, the, there are Gnostic movements. Well, okay. Well, I've already dropped the the word. Ooh. But but there are there are yeah there are there are groups that uh, yeah like you said predate Christianity that kind of cl- like cling to it once it appears to say mm-hmm. oh this is this is a thing that we can be loosely attached to um, and kind of apply our own philosophy with it loosely within that framework. Um, yeah. And some of it is kind of from within Jewish community. Some of, some of what we're going to talk about today is very anti-Jewish community. So it's kind of a Christianity pulled away from its Jewish roots entirely. There, there's different versions of, of what we're going to talk about. There's not, you know, um, it's not like these groups are kind of all one in the same. There's a, there's a wide variety. Right. Yeah. And I think it's important for us to recognize that for a couple of reasons. Mm. One, sometimes people like to pretend that the early church had everything going in their favor. Right. And it's not until modern era that people started messing stuff up. Right. Right. Which is not the case. The reason Paul writes to Corinth is because there are people teaching wrong things. Yeah. Right. Thessalonica. There are people teaching. And he's like, I, I got to fix this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because that is not true. Right. Is there or is there not a resurrection? Paul addresses this because some people are teaching Christianity, but without a resurrection. Sure. Right? Uh, when they have the Jerusalem Council, right? the question is, how much Judaism needs to come into Christianity? Because it was being taught wrongly. Mm-hmm. This is what Galatians is all about. Mm-hmm. Right? So these things were going on in the apostolic period. Christianity with wrong teachings. And then it carries on afterward, and it doesn't stop, and it still hasn't. Yeah. Right? So there are some who would say, early church had everything together. There's also those who would say, after the apostles, everything is Catholic and wrong until the Reformation. <laughs> Which is also not the case. No, not not. That's way too simple a way to put it. Yeah. Right. And so, in the same way that we battle for truth, Measuring everything against Scripture, testing the fruit of the person who is bringing us the message, Hmm. and the value of that message against Scripture, this has always been an exercise of the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And and always will be. Yeah, and and to be honest, like, throughout history, and I mean, this is kind of the first example of this, but there'll be more examples. Like, sometimes it seems as though the heretical false teaching— is going to take the upper hand mm-hmm. and is going to become the dominant view of, you know, amongst those who call themselves Christians in the world. And there's, you know, there's certain views that are taking prominence today that people, you know, might be worried about, concerned about, right? This deconstruction movement or, or whatever, whatever these different variations of, of false teaching might be. And people look at it and how popular it is and how it seems to be rising and think, oh no, oh no, does this right. mean, does this mean the end? And, and just rest assured that the church has gone through this before mm-hmm. many, many times. Right. And, and in, to some degree is perpetually going through it. Yeah. It just doesn't stop. Yeah. Right. All right. So you uh, mentioned the Gnostics. Gnosticism is how it's Gnosticism. spelled. <laughs> this is the thing with Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. It seems like everyone, everything gets pinned to Gnosticism. Right. Right? Like, it doesn't matter what anyone's heretical, hetero-orthodoxy kind of a statement is. They're like, oh, that's Gnosticism. Right, right, right. As if Gnosticism does not have its own definition. Right. And so, 
sometimes when people want to just say you're wrong Mm -hmm. and people have been wrong like you before, they just pin everything with Gnosticism. Right. (laughs) It's kind of a blanket term. I mean, it is still broad, but it's not all encompassingly broad. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. I mean, so the idea, so Gnosticism, like essentially it just literally means like having knowledge, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Having special knowledge is kind of what it is, right? It might have started even early enough or it might've been its influence on the church. It's not called that by name in the new Testament, but it's possible that Paul is alludes to it in certain occasions, certain groups that like are like, Hey, we've got this special thing. We got this new thing. And, you know, and we got some new rules and we've got some new ways of seeing who Jesus is and all that. Um, but he doesn't call it by name, but, but it's quite possible that, that, that was kind of the, the beginnings of this thing that became really huge, right. Uh, across the, the Mediterranean. So it's, how would you describe Gnosticism at its core in a way that would frustrate a scholar by saying you've oversimplified it? Okay. Um, material existence is evil, right? Um, the true God is hidden from us. Um, the path to salvation is through enlightenment, attaining the higher knowledge that is hidden from most, but revealed to some. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that is like most broadly, there's some other stuff that we, more specific things we can get into, but that's on a broad way. I'd say like pretty much all Gnostics are going to have some variation of that. Yeah. It's new age. It's Zen Buddhism. It is. New age. It's ironic that it would be called new age. Call it old age, right? Uh, <laughs> but but this idea, like you said, physical bad, spirit good, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so this came up with all kinds of crazy teachings about Jesus. Oh yeah, Jesus cannot be the one in whom mm-hmm. the fullness of the Godhead chooses to dwell, mm-hmm. yeah. because how could holy, righteous spirit ever take on flesh yeah yeah so he may have appeared to be in human form right but because he was divine there's no way that he could help me obi-wan yeah <laughs> he's a force ghost um <laughs> <only hope. laughs> yeah it's like the the first the first argument for the concept of hologram mm-hmm. is kind of this right like this appearance false appearance of physical body mm-hmm. which means Ultimately, the reason this is heresy, you might hear that, think, well, that's weird, but whatever. That means Jesus didn't die, mm. which means our sins have not been paid for. Mm-hmm. And you can see how this is not just a strange teaching, mm-hmm. but something that alters the course of Christianity altogether. Mm-hmm. Because our issue isn't sin. Our issue is ignorance. Right. So the solution is not forgiveness or redemption. The solution is enlightenment, illumination. According to the Gnostics. According, yeah, sorry, yeah, according to the Gnostics. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's going to like cut out like 10 seconds of me explaining what it is and then just be like, Marshall's a heretic. I was like, no, I'm just describing what heretics Busted. believe. Busted, yeah, seriously. Yeah, so so that, that being said, in Gnosticism, Christ doesn't die mm-hmm. for our sin, which mm-hmm. means our sins have not been paid for, which means... The debt of my sin is still owed. Mm -hmm. And that is why it is full-on heresy. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, but yeah. but there are also some other things because it denies the gospel, it, right? Yeah. So a lot of these groups, not all of these groups, but a lot of these groups, um, and are going to because the physical is either bad or irrelevant, depending on certain groups. It's either wrong or it's just meaningless. You might get some that kind of tend towards just like antinomianism, which means like just who cares what you do with your body because the body doesn't matter. Right. It's going to be destroyed. Yeah. No physical resurrection. More more often what you get is people saying the body is bad, therefore I'm going to, you know, we're going to, as a group, have extreme dietary restrictions, Mm -hmm. extreme restrictions on sexuality. You know, you're not allowed to get married or you're not allowed to sleep with your spouse or whatever, right? You're going to get this like, this kind of, asceticism bordering on legalism that's just to like to demonstrate look how enlightened i am look how little i care about the physical realm i don't do anything physical i don't Mm -hmm. i don't get any joy or any any satisfaction from the physical realm Uh, again that's not all groups that's just that's the kinds of things that that come up from this whole you know physical bad right because any level of physical enjoyment Mm -hmm. is participation in that evil thing yeah of the physical world, the flesh. That's what the ignorant, unenlightened sin. people do, right? right? That's that's what the lessers do. Right. Um, yeah. And so so there's, I mean, there's a number of different groups. Uh, I, I just, a couple couple big players. There's a guy named Valentinus. Um, he, we, he was referenced, but they didn't really have any of his writings until a recent discovery in Egypt. Well, by recent, I mean like less than 100 years ago. Um Apparently he was a candidate for Bishop of Rome, got passed up and was like, all right, fine. I'm going to go do my own thing. And he did his own thing. Um, he, Which might be why he was passed up. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I always yeah. wonder, was the heresy before or after? Right. Um, and he kind of has this teaching that, that pops up in a lot of the Gnostic groups. He believes that there's a primary God, sometimes referred to as like the Monad or whatever. There's a, there's a, a, a different God mm-hmm. who creates all of these lesser gods. And some variations, the gods, there's like male and female sexual pairs. It's like really convoluted. There's like m- multiple connections of them. And then one of those is Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, who creates the physical realm. And shame on him, poo-poo on you, because physical is bad. So there's this distinction mm-hmm. between the God of the Old Testament and the true hidden God. Right. And so Jesus is not coming as a representative of his father, the God of the Old Testament. He's coming to lead people back to the true God who's who's not the God of the Old Testament. Right. Right. Who made the God of the Old Testament. And interestingly enough, um, this isn't identical to it, but if you ever get into like some of like the origins of the universe theories from the Mormon church. Right. It gets, That's what I was just saying. thinking. Yeah. It's very similar. Very similar. And, and and I think it's I think this is a really really more of a valuable episode than people might know. Mm-hmm. Because I think they're gonna hear it and they're gonna be like, Oh, this is where people messed up a long time ago. Well, a lot of these things exist in versions today. Yeah. But even even beyond that, when historians dig up these things annually, annually there is someone who is a scholar at Harvard or name your prestigious university mm-hmm. who writes a paper about 
what early Christians really believed, but the church has suppressed. Right. <laughs> and they start dragging all this garbage out. Yeah. Right. And the truth is, these people were from the beginning declared to be heretics. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. from the beginning, they were denounced. Always have been. Has the church suppressed them? Yes. The church has suppressed them to say, that's not what we believe. Mm-hmm. That's not Christianity. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's not like it's not like the early church was all about this. Mm-hmm. And then later on, people were like, well, that's weird. Stop it. Right. There are a lot of uh, religions that do that. <laughs> the Mormons have rewritten their books a couple of times. Yeah, the yeah. Jehovah's Witness have buried <laughs> some of their books. Yeah. Uh, but that's not what's going on in Christianity. In Christianity, mm-hmm. these people are coming along saying, we're, we're Christians and this is what we believe. And people are like, well, you, if you believe that, you're not a Christian, mm. right? Because that's not what Christianity believes. Right. You, you don't get to just invent this thing and throw our label on it. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. Uh, and, and so it's important to know about some of these things because this crops up all the time oh, in yeah. a way that I believe is intentionally there to shatter faith. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So another one other than Valent- Valentinus, uh, who's of note is a guy named Marcion mm-hmm. Marcion. And he also kind of bought into this whole, the God of the old Testament isn't the real God. He referred to the God of the old Testament as the Demiurge. And, uh, again, it's this conflict, right? It's like, Oh, he actually, he caused all this problem by, by chaining souls to the physical realm and, and, what Jesus really came to do was to enlighten us to get beyond the physical realm. And, and he actually does, well, okay. He does a couple things that are really interesting. Um, he, uh, he creates a version of the Canon mm-hmm. of scripture for himself. Right. Uh, that involves, um, very much for himself, very much for himself. Uh, a, a edited version of the gospel of Luke. Right. And, uh, and a number of Paul's epistles. Because in his mind, Paul is the only true apostle. Uh, the other guys are a bunch of phonies. Although Jesus calls them apostles, yeah, but throughout Luke, yeah. So, he, <laughs> like, I don't know how he how he figures that out, but maybe maybe you know he gets the scissors and scotch tape out and and rearranges things accordingly. Um, but uh, yeah, because for him, Jesus and the Old Testament are incompatible, mm-hmm. um, which just makes me think. Marcion, did you did you bother reading the Old Testament? It's just right. full, just full of things pointing directly to Jesus. Like it's just like but again, it's it's this kind of this novel idea, right? Right. All of Matthew mm. is saying, look at how this Jesus is the anticipation of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Right? That's just what it is. That's why he cut Matthew out. <laughs> He's like, oh, there's too many too many connections there. I got maybe Luke's got a few less. Okay. Right. And, and this is this is a common thing. An angry God of the Old Testament mm-hmm. who said this is the way. Mm-hmm. There was punishment for sin and rebellion against that way. And then Jesus comes and says, This is the way. But here's the trick. Here's the trick. Jesus also says there will be punishment for those who rebel against the way. Mm -hmm. The only difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that that ultimate punishment is hindsight in the Old Testament Mm -hmm. and foresight in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And if you just hang around long enough, you're going to see that they're the same. Well, or if anything... The punishment greater. dealt out by Christ is right. going to be greater. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus himself 
takes on the role of the judge mm-hmm. in his own teachings. Yes. Says, I will be the one who casts this punishment. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it just doesn't make sense. And again, this is one that scholars love to pull up and say, you see, in the as early as the second century, these are the books that were being received and rejected. And then, as we get into Nicaea later, and then in Nicaea, it all changed. No. Mm-hmm. Marcion had a small cult of followers, but he was not accepted. No, he was excommunicated by the church. Yeah. They, they did some church discipline and got him out of there. Unfortunately, right. his movement did pick up some steam mm-hmm. and spread a bit, but eventually eventually it, f- it fizzled out. Unfortunately, that in the very general sense, this idea of this like, this distinction between the God of the old and Jesus Christ in the new being too much to overcome is not like, it's still a thing that people wrestle with. Oh yeah. There are, there are pastors of note who I will not name on this podcast who've recommended that we just kind of disconnect from the old Testament. Mm -hmm. Um, In a way that his dad would never have said. Yeah, I know. We'll just throw that. (laughs) So, it's it's kind of one of these things where you know we need to understand, and if you're wrestling, and I just to to the listener, if you're wrestling with you know what you feel is just this really significant distinction between old and new, um, talk to us about it, and 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 find find good literature on it to help you kind of understand it, right? Jesus on the road to Emmaus opens up the scriptures to the mm-hmm. disciples. And through all of them, he speaks of the things concerning himself. Right. Right. Jesus is found throughout the Old Testament. There is not an inconsistency. It's just a progressive revelation. We just get more and more of truth as things carry on. Right. Mm-hmm. So just my, my encouragement to anyone who might be wrestling with that, don't go the way of Marcion. Um, come talk to us. Right. Yep. Sounds good. Uh, with Marcion. Mm-hmm. One of the things that people are trying to do is they're trying to get their their new writings received. Right. And this becomes an age of false testaments. Yeah. Right? And we have, because, because we have here in the notes to talk about the early canon, mm-hmm. so... As soon as letters were received, they're being recorded. Mm-hmm. These, the Gospels, the Epistles, yes, we're halfway through the second century, 150-ish mm-hmm. kind of era is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. For 150 years, these things have been written, in, well, not 100 years, but 100 years, these things have been written and rewritten and passed out, mm-hmm. and this is very much the work that's mm-hmm. going on, mm-hmm. written in order to be distributed. Right. Right, Revelation even says, "Hey, blessed is everyone who takes this and reads it." It was written for distribution, mm-hmm. right? That's the anticipation, even in First Peter. Yeah, he says, "Peter says, I have an audience for this, but you need to pass this around." Yeah, and and in Paul's epistles, he he says, "Hey, you should read the letters that I've written to other people too." Mm-hmm. Right, like these are written for distribution; they're being distributed. Yeah, and along this era. People are like, I got some good ideas too, but nobody wants to listen to me. And so while they're sort of forming, these are the letters that everyone knows and receives, 
people are trying to slide in their own stuff. Mm-hmm. I heard a book publisher say one time that the number one thing that he dealt with as a publisher was people who wanted to publish a catalog of wise quotes or poems that they had collected from people across the ages and that were sliding in their own stuff, right? And so what was happening was (laughs) they're like, nobody wants to hear what I have to say, but people are going to buy a book about smart things that Abraham Lincoln and Albert Einstein said, (laughs) and I'm going to throw myself in the list, right? Uh, And people are going to buy that. And that's the only way to get their stuff known. Right. But that's kind of what's going on while the canon is forming early. Right. And people, people aren't even sure enough that they're going to be listened to that they start signing other people's names onto stuff. Right. Right. This is called pseudepigraphy. Mm -hmm. Right. I wrote this thing, but nobody wants to hear about it. So look at this thing I found. It's got Barnabas's name on it (laughs) and it's been buried over there on my shelf all this time. Oh yeah. But the ink's wet. So be careful with it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So all of these, this is where you get like, if you've heard of the gospel of Thomas, or um, you've heard of the Gospel of Judas. Ooh, that one sounds scary. Right. Um, but you know what? Like these these texts, and they're saying right, like some D- Dan Brown novel. It's like, oh well, you know, like this was this gives the code. This is the true yeah. the true story. The true story is this like random weird one off that doesn't line up with anything else. But that's the tr- that's the true one. Yeah. And everything else <laughs> that has been preserved and recognized since the beginning. That's that's the lie. Yeah, and, and so we we need an intelligent way to come about this, mm-hmm. about what we're going to accept and what we're not going to accept. And this has been done forever. This sure. is not a new practice. This this was done. Uh, now it's done historically. It was journalism then, mm-hmm. and they were doing these things. Right. Um, and and one of them, like you said, is just the test of does it line up with all the things we know to be true, mm-hmm. right? Um, have you ever read the Gospel of Thomas? Uh, yeah, I've actually read some of it. Someone, a friend on Facebook uh, that I know from the gym brought it up and, uh, she's like, I'm really concerned about some of the things. Like, what do you think about this? Is this, this, do you have a copy of it? Wow. I have a copy right here. I looked it up in the, I read some of it in the coin age. So just to flex a little bit there. Cause well, I, cause I told her, I was like, well, I can actually, I have a basic ability of reading ancient. Well, ancient open it age. up before you start flexing. <gasps> wow. Look at you. And so what I did I found this. I, I have this piece of paper tucked inside of my copy of Gospel of Thomas. Mm. Um, and I, I just wrote down some of the numbers. I, I think if we look at the book, looking at the book right now, for those of you that are listening, because every, that's all of you, um, Marshall's got the book. He's looking it over. Some, some instant observations mm-hmm. are things like, one, a gospel is the story of Jesus. Mm-hmm. This is not a story, right? It's a it's listed more like proverbs. Mm-hmm. They're just numbered sayings. It's not the history of Jesus or the story of it. No. Uh, so it's it's written very differently. It's not even a gospel, as far as a genre of writing goes. But there are also some really interesting things. I haven't pre-read these things to just see what I was thinking. So who knows why I wrote these numbers down. Okay. But let's read them on the air. Okay. Just to see. Number 39 is our first one. Okay. 39. 
Jesus said, The Pharisees and the scribes have taken the keys of knowledge and have hidden them. They have not entered, nor have they allowed those who want to enter to do so. As for you, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. So there's a little bit of Jesus in there. Yeah, sure. But applied in a way that doesn't really match why when Jesus said that. But it is a saying of Jesus. Sure. Number 42. Jesus said, be passers be. Like that's a word at P A S S E R S B Y. Passers Passers B? B passers B Passers B. I don't know. I don't even know what I that means. I have no idea. Which is why. And then his followers said, Who are you to say things things to us? <laughs> it's like who are you to say these words that don't make sense to us? Okay, sorry. Okay. Number forty seven. Oh man. Um Jesus said, a person cannot mount two horses or bend two bows, and a servant cannot serve two masters, or that servant will honor the one and offend the other. No person drinks aged wine and immediately desires to drink new wine. New wine is not poured into aged wineskins, or they might break. And aged wine is not poured into a new wineskin, or it might spoil. An old patch is not sewn onto a new garment, for there would be a tear. All right. A little bit of familiarity? Yeah, just kind of like expanding. It, it, like, it seems like this is just like a collection of things that... This number, person was like people said. Yeah. Number 51. Uh, his followers said to him, when will the rest for the dead take place? And when will the new world come? He said to them, what you look for has come, but you do not know it. Mysterious. Ooh. The end has already come. Ooh, that's a fun. Number 62. Okay. Jesus said, I disclose my mysteries to those who are worthy of my mysteries. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, that's interesting because the left hand and the right hand is a biblical theme. Mm-hmm. But it's that's not the application of the theme. No. About mystery. No. And the revelation of mystery. No, it has to do with like when you are when you are being obedient, when you're giving to the poor. Right. Right. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So again, it's a familiar saying. Right. But out of context and misapplied. He discloses his mysteries to those who are worthy of his mysteries. Right. So some people Mm. have other knowledge. (laughs) Because they're worthy. What's another word from the era, second century, that you would use for knowledge or special knowledge? (laughs) Other than Gnosis. <laughs> Gnostic. <laughs> Gnosticism, yeah. And 64. We'll end it with that one. Okay. Okay. This is kind of fun, actually. It is. Oh, it it's is. super long. 64 is like a whole thing. Oh, is it? All right. Like I said, I didn't pre-read them. I just noticed I had notes on them and thought, hey, that'll be fun. We'll review notes in front of everyone. Let's not read 64. It's All like right. a whole page. All Anyways. Right. But you guys get the idea. There's like there's there's stuff in here that's like it's close enough to things that appear in the other gospels that you're like, oh, okay, this seems legit. And there's just weird curveballs and like Thomas didn't write that. Like Thomas obviously didn't write that. And yeah. the early church knew that Thomas didn't write that. Right. And then someone's like, Hey, I've got the gospel of Thomas or, and this was, yeah, this was like a, a common, a common practice for, for people to kind of like take things, put their own spin on it, right. Be selective in what they want to share. Right. That's obviously like, someone sits down and is just recording things that either they've heard that Jesus said, or that maybe they want, they wish he would have said to affirm their, their new Gnostic Gnostic perspective. You know, I I would say, I I said it. Actually, you know what it reminds me of? What? 
a very popular book that a lady wrote about things that Jesus said to her that happened to align with how she felt about things. Jesus calling? <laughs> a little bit. Gospel yeah. of Thomas is second century Jesus calling. Yeah, so I, I said that it reads more like Proverbs just because they're these mm. sort of one-off statements. Right, right. Really, it feels more like the Book of Wisdom. Okay. Which mm. is an ancient Jewish pseudepigraphal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but both of them from the same place. Right. Because the Book of Wisdom is Alexandrian. Mm. So we mentioned before that the spread of the church had grown to the point that Alexandria has become a center. Mm -hmm. So Egypt has become a center. Right. And Alexandria is really very much uh, a, a core of importance for the modern church in mm. today and, and it was, as it was then, right? Mm -hmm. And here's... Here's the reason for this. Sometimes, sometimes you'll hear people come and say, they'll be like, Clement of Alexandria, anything going on in Alexandria, it was all wrong. Mm. Why? Because a lot of these writings that we have that are not biblical writings, that are trying to pose as scripture, although they are not, they come from Alexandria. Mm -hmm. Admittedly, that's where they were found. Not necessarily written, but that's where they were found. Mm. It, there's a lot of that there. But there's also a good number of ancient scripture found there. Mm. And, and what this has to do more than anything else is climate. Not right. social climate, not historical climate. <laughs> but, but actual weather climate. Actual climate. <laughs> weather climate. And this is, this is really fascinating. If we haven't lost you already. When the Bible is handed down, writer to writer and sort of passing them along, as the Jews would before them, a lot of times people would copy the scripture. And once they had a faithful copy of what they had, mm. as the older ones were deteriorating, they were destroyed out of respect. Or sometimes they would just be shelved and kept. Right. But as the Roman Empire will in time, this is hundreds of years removed from where we are now in history. So this is getting us out of chronological order for a while. It will move north and east mm. into Byzantium. Mm -hmm. Constantinople. Right. Istanbul. It's got which, a lot of names. Sorry. Which is right. a wetter climate. Mm -hmm. And what happens in that is paper doesn't hold up as well. And so these copies need to be made over and over again. And they're deteriorating. They're molding. They're being destroyed. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And so... We have copies of copies. And up until like profoundly recently, like Let's six, seven, eight hundred years ago, those were the major copies of scripture that we had. Right. And along comes Napoleon Bonaparte. <laughs> this is leaping. Like we're so far out of chronological. Yeah, yeah we're like we're yeah. Way forward, but but it comes back. So I'm not just rabbit trailing. Napoleon Bonaparte comes along and he has this passion for history in a way that other people haven't. And he takes Egypt and they start digging in the sand. And it birthed is this practice we call archaeology. Mm -hmm. And as archaeology starts becoming a science of its own, 
people start digging in Alexandria, and they find ancient scriptures that were otherwise lost. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it's dry, and the papers don't deteriorate at the same rate. Mm -hmm. And so this has the risk of being really dangerous for the church. Right. Because if these new scriptures found are entirely different than the Byzantine scriptures, something has gone terribly wrong. Right, yeah. In a chill, kind of like chilling kind of a way, they are profoundly the same. Yeah. Profoundly the same. If you were reading a modern translation, you will find maybe four or five moments when there's a parenthetical bar drawn that says the oldest and most reliable manuscripts do not contain this story. Right. And that is something that really throws people. Why does my Bible say that this common teaching, uh, Jesus writing this mysterious something in the sand, mm -hmm. is one of the more famous ones? Right. Um, an issue in Peter where he says, where there's a Trinitarian statement, mm -hmm. right? The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit is there, but that's not in the oldest, most trusted manuscripts. Mm -hmm. What they're saying is these Byzantine manuscripts that have been copied and copied and copied and copied and copied at some point had these stories that appeared in them for the first time. And when the Alexandrian manuscripts were dug up, those portions aren't there. Right. And so what they're saying is, in order to play it safe, and a lot of times people are like, and we've talked about this over and over again, even today. Mm -hmm. Academia wants to come at the church and say, this is what the church has been hiding from you. There are questions about this, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> no one's hiding anything. Yeah. It's right there in your Bible. It is, yeah. Go look it up. What they're saying is, hey, our Byzantine copies mm -hmm. have this story. We dug up things in Alexandria that are hundreds of years older. Sometimes a thousand years older. That don't have these copies. Mm -hmm. or they don't have that, only that portion. Yeah, that line. Everything or else that is paragraph, the same. It's, yeah. just, it's just that one little paragraph. Mm -hmm. the, the ending of Mark right, yeah. is a famous one. It's like a couple sentences. Yeah. And, and some Bibles will give you a couple of two options on how it might have ended, mm -hmm. right? And that's what's being said there, mm -hmm. right? What they're saying is, this has been a part of Bible translation for a long time, but when we've started digging up, digging in the sandbox and finding these ancient things, that wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, there, there are thousands of opportunities for things to have gone awry. Mm -hmm. We're talking about like six or seven moments yeah. in all of Scripture where there's a question Mm -hmm. of whether or not it was a part. And, and none of those have any theological that's weight. What, that's what I was going to say. None of, none of them are game changers in, in, any, in any way, right? So, right. so I just want to throw this to you as a question. Okay. Let's say you're preaching through the Gospel of John, mm -hmm. and it's time to talk about the woman caught in adultery. Mm -hmm. Do you preach that passage with confidence? That it was originally a part of Scripture. I'm throwing you completely under the bus. Yeah, um, I would either d depends on the the church, right? Because it could because 
letting them know that it wasn't could pre- present a stumbling block for people. Um, so if I if I was able to mention that and it would be okay for me to preach it, I, I maybe I would, or I would skip over it. But I wouldn't just preach it without mentioning that because people mm-hmm. are going to open their NIV or ESV Bibles unless they're unless they're still using a KJV. They're going to have a note in their Bible that says, hey, by the way, this wasn't in the earliest manuscripts. Did that story happen? Maybe, probably, right? But um, for whatever reason, it's not included in the earliest manuscripts. So I would have an issue just just doing it with and not saying anything. And saying yeah. something could be problematic. So I would either, it would depend on the, the, the church. Yeah, and that's the tension that pastors feel, right? I don't want to create a lack of confidence in the Bible as a whole. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I, I've i taught it, and I teach it with the disclaimer. Mm-hmm. I get that there might be a couple of people who even with the disclaimer of me saying, let me explain to you historically how the Bible came to be as far as not the collaboration of the books, mm-hmm. but the content of the books themselves. And I think it's a magical, magical people are going to have a problem with that word. I, I think it's a supernatural thing that these these pages can be found a thousand years later mm-hmm. and have such profound agreement with everything oh, around yeah. them. Yeah, like, There will be people that tell you that there are thousands of issues. What they're counting is if someone accidentally misspelled a word or left out a comma. Or even the spelling of a word changed over time, which right. happens right. even in English language. And so, and so <laughs> what they'll do is they'll say, oh, the Alexandrian manuscripts and the Byzantine manuscripts Are have so thousands of yeah. differences. No, And that's silly. Yeah, it is. Of any consequence, there's like less than 10. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and they are noted... But when we say modern, like you're right to say the King James Bible doesn't say mm-hmm. these are not in the oldest manuscripts because those didn't exist in circulation. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. how new it is. It's yeah. newer than the King James Bible. Yeah. But these really old manuscripts brought in, I feel like I can teach that to the church and 95% of the people are going to be able to hear that mm-hmm. and say, all right. Maybe I'm a little bit confused, but at least I know why this is here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and I think that that I think that builds more confidence in Scripture mm. than ignoring it. Because if I ignore it, if I skip it, mm-hmm. someone at some point is going to come along and say, "Hey, you know what?" And now they've never been taught that, and they're like, "Yeah, well, that's because your pastor's scared of it and he hides from it because he doesn't want you to know <laughs> the truth." And now I've given that a leg to stand on, right? Right, and so. So I teach it, but but when I teach it, what I would do is I would cross-reference like crazy. Sure. Does this represent the spirit of Jesus? Well, Jesus also says this, and Jesus also says this. Mm-hmm. And if I can't make a point out of cross-referencing, then I don't teach that scripture. Right. To me, the focus of that scripture is, the, particularly the woman caught in adultery, is Jesus noting, you only brought one person here. Where's the other? Mm-hmm. Jesus is giving forgiveness and a second chance opportunity for repentance. Mm-hmm. The Pharisees don't want repentance. They want judgment. Mm-hmm. All of those things, I think, come together 
in the fullness of scripture and the reflection of who Jesus is mm-hmm. in a way that we can affirm. Mm-hmm. And so it points us to those things. I think we can bring that up. Uh, what's not the point of the sermon is what he might have written in the sand. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's purely conjecture. <laughs> and if the story is not a part of biblical, true biblical, if John didn't write those words, mm. then it, and it doesn't matter. Like we're we're off on a tangent, mm-hmm. making things up. Right. Um, but even if he didn't, if we can pull from other places this truth about Jesus, mm-hmm. then it still points us to the truth of Scripture. Sure. And so that's how I teach those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one of the fascinating things where here we are talking about the second century and how it that history affects the way that I can preach on a Sunday morning. Right. Yeah. And it's just so beautifully intertwined. Mm -hmm. And it just makes me feel a fraternal connection with these early teachers and bishops and the work that they were doing Mm -hmm. to make sure that we would have the scriptures in our hands. Right. It's just incredible. Yeah. And and so that's the role that Alexandria plays. Yes, preserved with the oldest manuscripts of scripture we have, we also have the Gnostics preserved. Yeah. And we also have the teachings <laughs> of other heretics yeah. preserved. We do. <laughs> Not because they all came from Alexandria and everything taught in Alexandria was wrong, mm. but because the climate there allowed those papyri to exist mm-hmm. in a maintained state mm-hmm. longer than they would have anywhere else in the world. Yeah, and they had extensive libraries, greatest right. in the world. And m- much of it was destroyed, but even the remnant that survived... Um, is astounding. Which is just amazing because had the Romans not scattered the church in Jerusalem mm-hmm. pre-70 AD, mm-hmm. had they not fled to Egypt, mm-hmm. our confidence in the scriptures that we hold in our hands right now would not be fortified right. by having documents go missing for thousands of years only be to be discovered mm-hmm. and to match n- in near perfection what we have been passing along mm-hmm. all along. Yeah. It's, it's just an, in- an incredible builder of faith in the document itself mm-hmm. in God's desire to preserve his word. That happens because the Romans come after the Christians mm-hmm. and they flee to Alexandria. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's fantastic. That's what I got. What else you got? Well, a- anything else you t- want to hit on? I was going to talk about. Time. I was going to talk about my favorite heretic. <laughs> okay, <laughs> my favorite heretic, Montanus. So, so <laughs> there's another. There's another guy. This is we didn't talk about him during our discussion about Gnosticism because it wasn't really Gnosticism, sure per se. Yep. Uh, but this was someone who was um, cast out of the church. Another teacher. Um, Montanus was an interesting fellow. He he operated in, in Phrygia, which is modern-day Turkey, and uh, he came up with a movement that initially was called the New Prophecy and then eventually just became Montanism because Montanus started it. Mm-hmm. Um, might have been like a priest of Apollo or something before he converted, uh, but he believed that he'd been given new prophecy. He believed that the paraclete, the helper that Jesus promised in the gospel John of John, yeah. yeah, was, was like literally manifested in him. 
Oh. Yeah. Like so that, Jesus had to leave so that he could come. Yeah. So the paraclete was operating. Either he was the paraclete or the paraclete was like, like possessing him. Mom, right. Mom. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> so, sorry, I, I might have whispered that too quietly. <laughs> it's it's essentially Muhammad's statement yeah. in 600. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So he had a couple colleagues, uh, a couple female colleagues, uh, Prisca and Maximilla, who uh, also claimed to be prophets. Um, there's a whole big thing, big thing about their virginity, and then one of the Christian historians is like, yeah, they were married and then left their husbands to join the cult. So, like... No, they weren't. Right. In fact, they were adulterous because they did that. Um, this group really favored the book of Revelation because they believed that these prophecies that they were given gave them fresh interpretation into the meaning. And so they believed that. So this guy who's operating kind of in these two towns in the middle of Turkey, you know, not really the center of anything is like the new Jerusalem is coming. And guess where it's coming? Where I live is, isn't that, isn't that convenient right here, guys? Like it'd be like, it's like those people who think Jesus is going to return in like Kansas. It's like, you know, Mm -hmm. who came up with that, a church in Kansas. That's, that's who came up with that idea. Right. It's like, so, and, and they believe that the return of Christ was imminent. Like it's coming because the paraclete has come and, and he's done his, his work. Right. Um, when Eusebius writes about him, he talks about how these prophecies would come. So there's just a quote. Uh, he says, And he, Montanus, uh, became beside himself, and being suddenly in a sort of frenzy and ecstasy, he raved and began to babble and utter strange things, prophesying in a manner contrary to the constant custom of the church handed down by tradition from the beginning. So very ecstatic, very visual, very intense thing that Montanus and his followers would would be engaged in as they were receiving these special revelations. Um, and their prophetic revelation could supersede the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of the apostles. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because it's later. It's for now, right? Jesus was for then. The apostles were for then. But hey, we're a hundred years removed. Also also a play that Muhammad also, is going to pull in the six yeah, hundreds. Yeah. And, but, and, but Muhammad will go further to say the things I said later in life supersede the things that I said <laughs> earlier in life. Yeah, that's another, that's be, another thing. Even though they were both me. Yeah. And, and you know what? Uh, John Smith will do the same thing. Oh, totally. With the Mormon scriptures. Yeah. Supersession and then personal supersession. Yeah. Yeah. He, so, so basically, here's the, here's the common thread between all of these. Yeah. When someone says, God gave me a vision... God gave me a new revelation Mm -hmm. and that person is the center of the revelation. There's a problem. Yeah. Even Jesus was (laughs) asked, are you the center of the revelation? And he would say, what do you think? Mm. Right. And people are like, Oh, why didn't Jesus just say, it's me. It's all about me. It's all about me. Mm. Because people that do that get listed as crazy. (laughs) And Jesus instead says, there's enough information here for you to figure it out. Mm-hmm. That's his response time and again. Um, yeah. So he he believed that this like this new revelation, this fresh outpouring of the spirit was ushering in a new age in Christianity, taking things to another level so that they would be ready. And they were the, the true church. They kind of had this two tiers of Christianity. 
So they had something that those who followed Montanus, they were the pneumatakoi, the spirit-filled Christians. And the other Christians were just kind of like your basic average run-of-the-mill fleshly worldly Christians. And like they might be saved, they might not, but like what you really want is this special indwelling, this special thing that makes you a pneumatakoi because they're they're the real deal. In the 1800s, the Keswicks. Yeah. Get into this second revelation kind yeah. of a thing, right? Azusa Street and whatever. Uh, um, that's not Keswick. That's a different thing. That's a different thing. But yeah, Azusa, Azusa <laughs> Street is another... <laughs> is another example. Yeah. So the world did not end, though. <laughs> right? The things that he prophesied would, would come, that the new Jerusalem would come out of heaven and happen to land on the village that he lived, didn't happen. He died. Prisca and Maximilla died. The thing kind of like, it kind of carried on for a while, but it ended up just kind of fizzling out. But for a while, people were really taken with it. Tertullian, a guy we're going to talk about probably next week, was kind of into it at one point. Mm -hmm. He's like, this is kind of a cool thing they got going on because there was, there was energy to it, right? There was, there was excitement to it. There, this was something new, something fresh, something's happening, something different than just kind of the drudgery of, of what you know, quote unquote, normal Christianity was. And so it was appealing to people for a long time, but ultimately it kind of, it fell flat. You can only make so many prophecies that don't come true until people stop thinking you're a prophet. <laughs> Which, <laughs> just to fast forward way into the future, like <laughs> this idea that I've done the math and God's coming back on this day. Yeah. Like, since the second century. Oh, yeah. This has been going it's on. It's not new. This prediction thing, right? Yeah. And and it just, when you think about, like, Jehovah's Witness, we're like, it's, oh, it's going to be mm-hmm. at this time. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, no, it didn't work. It's going to be at this time. Mm-hmm. And then it didn't happen. And they're like, you know what? It did actually happen, but it was a spiritual return. And you didn't <laughs> see it because you weren't spirit-filled. Uh, but it did happen, so we were right all along. <laughs> um, these kinds of statements and revisions and all this kind of stuff, it... It's heresy's not new. No, no, it's heresy not. is as old as the true faith. Yeah, and and these things that pop up, you know, these these problematic expressions uh, on the fringe, or outside even of the bounds of Christianity, posing themselves as Christian, they're they're not new. These mm-hmm. things that pop up, you know, in the in the 18th, 19th, 20th century, 20 stuff going on right now that we'll get to, you know, later on in the year. They're just echoes of the same stuff that they were dealing with from the very beginning. And they rear, these things rear their ugly head at different points in history. And, uh, and it's nothing new. Just to lob up a softball Mm. example, because softball examples are the safe examples. Mm. If someone were to dig up our civilization a thousand years from now, they'd find a lot of prosperity gospel stuff. Mm -hmm. And they would say churches everywhere believed in the prosperity gospel. Mm -hmm. And we should rightfully be offended by that. Mm -hmm. We don't. We stand against the prosperity gospel. It's idolatry. Mm -hmm. It says Jesus is not the the end of my worship. He's a means to the idolatry that I have. Mm -hmm. We teach that kind of stuff all the time. But there have been enough books written... Mm-hmm. For someone to come in and presume this is what Christians believe. Yeah, I mean, they could be excavating the ruins of the the Stratford Christian bookstore. And <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and just see all the Joel Osteen. And, I mean, it doesn't exist anymore. But you know. Right, but 
But this is the kind of thing that has always been going on, which yeah. should build confidence in us. Mm-hmm. Because when people want to make the statement that Christians now just blindly follow this thing that's been taught for thousands of years, if you learn nothing else from the history podcast, it's this. Christians have been thoughtfully dissecting every teaching to come their way since Jesus himself Mm -hmm. was here. Mm -hmm. Paul, traveling around teaching, Mm -hmm. says, you know who I like? I like the Bereans. Yeah. Why? Because everything I taught them, they took back to Scripture and said, can it be true? Mm -hmm. Right? And that is what the Orthodox faithful Christian religion has always been about. Yeah. Examining these things against the word of truth Mm -hmm. and pushing aside those things that are untrue and embracing those things that are faithful. Right. That has always been our exercise, Mm -hmm. even from the beginning. And it helps us to have faith in our faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada. It's produced by Alex Walker. Take care. See you next time.